Welcome to Chromodiversity, a podcast for clinicians, therapists, and families about common genetic diversity in children and adults. I'm Elliot Pollack, founder of the Chromodiversity Foundation, and I'll be your host. You're listening to the second of two episodes with Toby Whittington, a successful social entrepreneur from Perth, Australia, who found out he had an extra X chromosome at the age of 32. In the previous episode, Toby told the story how his diagnosis changed almost every aspect of his life, unlocking his drive to make a positive impact on the world. In this second part of our wide-ranging conversation, you'll hear, among other things, why it's important to avoid becoming a victim of one's diagnosis, the reason Toby doesn't identify as Kleinfelter syndrome, but as intersex, what led him to turn away from substance abuse, and how he believes we can live our best lives here and now. What advice would you give to someone who has just found out that they have a genetic difference like you? Get a good endocrinologist. Everyone says that. (laughs) But yeah, get a good endocrinologist. Get a good GP. I have a really good relationship with my GP and she actually administers my testosterone. And, you know, I can really talk to her about anything that's going on and, and she's really supportive. And so I think if you're in a situation where your medical community is not supporting your condition, then go find some services that will, because this is a lifelong thing and, and we need to be supported by the people we're engaging with around it. Then on the side of taking testosterone for myself, it was like going through adult puberty and it was really full on and intense. Part of my advice would be like, you know, strap yourself in. <laughs> And be prepared to change and grow and understand that things, you know, everything that you kind of took for granted is about to get uh, reviewed. I see a lot of people sometimes on support groups on Facebook and stuff, they they seem to blame everything on this condition and then become a a victim, you know, a mental victim of the world because they've had this condition and they're, if all the bad things that have ever happened to them suddenly can all be blamed on this. And then I, I think that's self, self-replicating. self Suddenly you're having bad things happen all the time. So you blame that on the condition. And then you get more bad things happening because you've got a bad mindset, because you've got a condition, you know, and it's just like this never-ending negativity. And I would just say try to avoid that. Do whatever you can to not see this as the end of the world. Because it's not. It's actually the beginning of your new life and it has great potential to be something bold and amazing. And you have great potential, now you know about this, to really reach a potential that you might not have seen existed before. Be prepared for the changes, but also take the opportunity for personal growth. Don't let yourself become a victim of a condition like this. It's an amazing opportunity. You mentioned that that ride you went on for for the next 10 years, nobody had told you. Do doctors know enough? And what would you tell doctors? I think, you know, your organisation and what you're trying to do is painting a different picture around what this is about. So, you know, be good for doctors. In fact, I told my GP about your podcast and she was going to look it up. I said, you know, it's a really great 
the stories you're telling because it shows a different light to this stuff. I think there's a lot of fear and, and bigotry around, particularly, I mean, I identify as an intersex person and I see chromosomal difference as being an intersex person. And I think, unfortunately, there's a lot of bigotry and, and fear around what intersex means, particularly because intersex is often put in the same context as LGBTQI, we're in there, A+. Uh, so people think, you know, if you're intersex, suddenly you're magically gay and there can be a lot of stigma around that. And so I think doctors have to leave that judgment at the door as well. Just because you're intersex does not automatically make you gay, even though you could be gay and intersex. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. I think we have to move past our perceptions around bigotry and fear. Actually, the latest uh, stuff is seeming to show that you can be XXY, chromosomally XXY, and not actually develop Klinefelder syndrome. That Klinefelder syndrome can come on in puberty, but you can be XXY without Klinefelder syndrome. The actual genetic difference itself, you can see it just as a difference that predisposes yeah. to potentially conditions later on that you can preempt yeah. or avoid. That's one of the things, you know, I think if people are getting diagnosed as XXY in utero or early childhood, uh, they need to be aware that Klinefelder syndrome can manifest, but doesn't always, you know. So it's not like fate accompli because you have an XXY diagnosis. Mm. There's lots of other health risks and things that people seem to have. I feel lucky that I don't have those or don't appear to. What advice would you give to parents who've just learned that their child or future child has an extra chromosome or one less chromosome? Well, you know, just keep loving them, wouldn't you? Just keep loving them like they're the, they're the best thing in your life because they will be. Get involved with a group and find out information and listen to the podcasts and, and understand that people with uh, genetic variants or chromosome difference or Klinefelder syndrome, we can have amazing lives, amazing productive, contributory lives to the world and promote them and nurture that in your child and leave your judgments of bigotry and stuff at the door. I think that's been part of the big issue with intersex people. Historically, we've been kept in the shadows and, and been a point of shame and been a thing that people don't talk about. We need to celebrate it now. How is it that you're so open about this when society would say, be careful? Well, the world's changing, man. <laughs> you know, I think, I think in lots of ways, the transgender movement has done a lot of positive good for the intersex community because, you know, transgender people are out and proud about who they are and they're vocal about it. And they're going through hormonal transitions. And intersex people are going through hormonal mm. transitions. I went through a hormonal transition, although I didn't change gender in that sense or change my sex. I went through a hormonal transition that a transgender person would go through if they were going female to male, they would go on testosterone and they would go through much the same experience I went through. Mm. And I think the more public acceptance of transgender people over the last kind of five or six years has definitely helped the intersex community 
to also rise up and elevate and be more vocal and public. And there's now intersex activists and it's talked about in parliament. There was just passed a bill in Australia to abolish intersex surgery without consent unless it's life-threatening. You know, this is a huge thing, which has been an issue that has plagued inter intersex people for, you know, hundreds of years. And it's been a huge seat of fear and shame in our community. And you can see that where people do get concerned about if you're intersex, you might be gay or they're confused between sexuality and gender and biological sex. There's a huge amount of confusion around all of these things. So I decided that Kleinfelder syndrome didn't really sit with me very well because identifying as someone with Kleinfelder syndrome, because I feel I'm more than a syndrome and more complex than that. And at the same time, finding out that XXY is actually intersex, that I do have the three signifiers of intersex traits, which is slightly different physical genitalia and physique. And I have a hormonal makeup, which is not the normal to XX or XY, and I have a chromosomal difference. So those three things, three characteristics, are signifiers of being intersex of which there's about 30-something variations now that people know of that are intersex. Sometimes referred to now as DSD or differences in sex development or diversity in sex development. Well, it used to be a disorder of sex development, mm -hmm. and they've changed yep. it recently to differences because, in actual fact, we're not a disorder. In much the same way, we're not a, a syndrome, you know. Uh, we're, we're people and we're lovely and uh, you know the more we kind of get defined as being a disorder or less than normal or something that needs to be fixed or something that needs to be operated on to look better and uh, the more we're going to have problems as a community and so I've made it a part of my life to talk to people about it and to educate people about it and to talk about this thing that is biological sex gender and sexuality and to explain to people that you know in actual fact sexuality has very little to do with the conversation about biological sex as does gender which is a made-up construct in in societies but at a biological level in my cells i can never change the fact that i have xxy you know that is a cellular biological thing that cannot be changed it's it's fixed think it's important to have conversations with people and take opportunities and the fact that I am a public figure on occasion I am out being interviewed I do take that opportunity to talk to people about it I'm not shy about it you know I think that it's good to use the platforms we have available to us to spread a more positive story and rhetoric about it yeah, I just think it's an opportunity to enlighten people around the diversity that is going on in the world. And diversity is a good thing. I actually think we're going to, we're going to find soon that uh, what we consider to be normal XX on one end of the spectrum and XY on the other, these states of normal or the, the binary that we consider to be normal. I mean, one, they're very much drawn out of um, observations that come from the Victorian era. 
two, we're going to now find that there's so much diversity in between that these are the outliers. Our sense of normality is way out on the long tail. The bell curve of most of the population is some sort of variant of uh, divergence, neurodivergence, chromosomal divergence, you know, sex and gender divergence. There's so many more people that are now, you know, not normal in that sense. We've, we just crossed over 8 billion people this week. For us to consider that we might all be somehow homogenous is bonkers. It's ridiculous. But to consider that we're all different and unique and amazing and we all come from lots of different perspectives and lots of different thinking and lots of different genetic makeup and lots of different chromosomal makeup and lots of different ways of having hormones in our life, you know, that's, that actually feels much more normal that massive of difference rather than uh, this sort of this perception we've been given from the past that there's this sort of fight-lined normality. Coming back to your question, like what would I say to people if they'd found out about this? So, you know, part of it is like embrace this difference. Love this difference. The other thing as well that I've done in my life and partly probably I'm able to sit here and be so open about things as I've done a lot of personal work of self-love and, and really accepting who I am and accepting what my body is and accepting that it's different and learning to love those differences. And I've done that over years of, of a dedication of actually coming to terms with who I am as a person. And I think that that, is a journey that, you know, we all should be going on, that we all should be, whether you're divergent or not, but we all should be learning to love who we are. And not in that, you know, you just talk about self-love and people um, immediately think in a sort of egotistic way, like, you know, that you're up yourself. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a, a deep fundamental love for you as a, as a person, love for you as a physical physical being. Um, that's like having a little pilot light inside and you know when life is good and happy the pilot light is ablaze but when life is down and hard and challenging you've got to have a little light burning there still and that light comes from self-love you know because you want to have that blaze again if you don't have that little light of self-love then it's really hard to get back to the the blaze of all the good things in your life So I've done a lot of work around that, which is coupled with, you know, the feelings of grief and loss of finding the diagnosis and not having uh, the opportunity to have children and coming to terms with that. You know, there's a lot of personal development that I've been on at a very conscious level. And I think they're the sort of things to tell people if they've been diagnosed, do the inner work on yourself. Learn to love who you are. Learn to love your, your body and your physique. Do the self-work, whatever you do, even if you decide to have a hormonal uh, gender change. Still, don't just stop at that. Do the self, do the work to really love who you are. I'm not saying that I'm 100% all the time jumping out of my skin. I am saying that there is a foundation of personal love and, and respect and, and knowing who I am physically. And, you know, that's come about from 
being diagnosed and having the testosterone and and finding confidence in myself and then wanting to really nurture who I am as a person internally. So if you could go back in time and say something to yourself as a child with the benefit of your experience today, what would you say to that child that you were? Well, I'm not sure I would have listened, but I probably would have said, don't do drugs. <laughs> I have to say I'm totally sober. I'm totally straight and sober these days. I've done a lot of self-medication in my life. That has been a coping mechanism around coping with who I was and not knowing the details of it, you know, not having the diagnosis, but but knowing that something was wrong. And I've, I listened to a couple of your other podcasts and, and I think that's a bit of a running theme of, mm. of people self-medicating their lives with with drugs and alcohol or pharma or whatever i've definitely done quite a bit of that in my life and i think i would go back to my younger self and you know give some stern advice <laughs> around that but uh but yeah i'm i'm um, coming up to six years sober and so really that's been a huge part of the journey of self-love and self-respect and recognition of who i am as a person is coupled with not just not just me learning to love my body, but then going, well, what does that mean? If, if I love myself, can I continue to keep doing these behaviours which are clearly not coming from self-love? Toby, would you like to try out the last um, nine or ten questions that I've asked other people? I like the 36 time questions on how to fall in love with someone. That's quite amazing, actually. If you're with someone who you, you love or like in your life and you go through those questions, you really do get to know them at a pretty deep level. Anyway, go for it. Yeah, I'll do the question. What's your favorite word? Oh, gosh. It's a tough question. I, I should say love, but I want to say fuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, that's uh, one of the questions. What's your favorite curse word? But I guess, you know, I, I swear a lot. Um, I kind of came from a high school full of swearers. I guess that rubbed off. I like the word autodidact. Not many people know what it means. The other night I heard a great word on the telly. Someone congealed. Someone had said the word congealed, and I just thought, gosh, that is a great word that you don't often hear people use very often. And what's your least favourite word, if you have one? Oh, I don't, I don't like this little phrase people often say, particularly young people when they're um, young people from kids through to teenagers say this when they're like, ever so slightly challenged about something which is really pretty simple and you know they've got the skills to do it and they go I can't do it like my my partner's got a four-year-old kid and and I don't know what it was folding news folding paper or something and and he's like he's given a half-ass go at it <laughs> yeah I can't do it and he's about to have a tantrum and I'm like well just think about it like this and try it like this and you know, like, what about an alternative? And literally two seconds later, he's like, I did it. <laughs> yes, of course you did, you know. But, yeah, that's sort of the ease at which people want to give up. Yeah, that's my least favourite phrase or words is, is something which leads to that feeling of not being adequate. What makes you happy? What brings you joy or turns you on? Oh, God, well, life, doesn't it? relationships, sex, cuddling, 
love communicating yeah all the all the juicy things isn't it that, and creating something i mean it's pretty nice to be able to create things with your hands and the immediacy of that uh, learning a new skill you know that same thing like when the kid is like i can't do it and then a minute later i did it that moment mm. when you realize you've done a thing which you didn't think you could do and then uh, you do achieve it and you're like, wow, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's a really good thing. But also, like, you know, loving someone else and, and being dedicated to loving and communicating and, and having a relationship with them, you know, that is a really beautiful thing too. What so, sound or noise do you love? I like electronic music. <laughs> I like house music uh, to dance to. But I find as well, and it's probably a correlation with the condition, actually, um, some noises can be very intense for me. I find myself quite noise sensitive. Um, and in fact, even any time I go out dancing now, I wear earplugs and stuff because you know, just find it. Partly, I think, because I'm very tall, if I'm out in a crowd, there's no kind of buffer for the sound where my ears are. So I'm getting bombarded all the time by sounds which shorter people. And I know this because I've squat down in a crowd. Shorter people don't have that sort of experience. I uh, have ASMR. It's where sounds create a stimulus in your body. I remember once when I first found out about this, I sat on my lounge room couch with a, a dry paper bag and I crumpled it between my fingers. And for about half an hour, the tingling up the back of my spine was like euphoria just from listening to this crumpling bag in my fingers, sounds that can be uh, a stimulant for me, which is really nice, a, a euphoric kind of stimulant. My sense of touch and my sense of sight are crossed over where everything I touch creates, and I mean it, everything I touch, like where my toe is touching my sock right now, uh, up to what my hands are doing uh, it's creating complete 3d images of everything it's touching in my mind all the time so i've actually just thought everyone experienced the world in this way and it was only <laughs> about two years ago that with a lover at the time i described this to and she said that she had met one other person before that had it and they described it like having finger eyes, like eyes in the end of their fingers. Um, and for myself, it's my entire body, but like my tongue is particularly sensitive. I've got a full visual of the inside of my mouth constantly. And it does mean I can kind of multitask with touch quite well. Like if I'm driving along, I can be looking at the road, but also looking at the coffee cup, you know, in my mind through my hand. I've just realised last year that it was a type of synesthesia and that other people don't experience the world this way. And then I was kind of, I generally try and do a little bit of research. So everyone I meet for the next month or so, I asked them and said, you know, how do you experience touch? Like, what is touch for you? I didn't want to give the game away. So I kind of found ways to try and asked this question and people were really confounded by that because they never kind of considered what touch is 
And what I generally got from people was that it was like a kind of, they could feel the texture of things, but it was more like a, a vibration sensation that was coming through their hand or whatever to their brain. And that was it. And when I started to say, well, does it create images? Do you see images? Do you see what you're touching? Everyone was like, no, no. What are you talking about? And so I came out to my family uh, at my birthday last year, birthday dinner, my family and loved ones around, and I said, I've, I've got synesthesia and I've got this, um, this situation where everything I touch creates a complete 3D image in my mind and I can direct my attention to it and I can do all these things that other people can't do because I can see through my hands and see through my body and stuff. Meanwhile, my mum is sitting next to me. She was looking at me incredulously and I thought, here we go. She's about to just slay me like that it's all hippie bullshit and she just doesn't agree. And I could just see the, the backlash coming. But as I'm talking, she went from looking like that to basically turning white as a ghost and eventually says, oh, you mean other people don't experience that? It's really rare. So my mum has the same has the same thing. She and I experience the world in this same way. I really did think that everyone experienced the world in this way because people don't talk about how their senses respond, how they touch. You know, this isn't something we sit around talking with each other about. We just all take it for granted that our experience is the same. And in actual fact, I don't think it is. It's quite intense, but I think as well it contributes to making me a creative and different and unique person. What profession other than yours or the many that you have done would you like to attempt? Great to be a professional rich person that never had to work ever again. Professionally wealthy and you didn't have to work for it. You could just like kind of cruise around the world not working and living your best life. But yeah, I think that because I am self-taught and self-made and have had a number of careers, yeah, I'm kind of living the best work. Now that I'm getting into plastic manufacturing, that's really exciting for me to be able to take plastic bottle caps and put them through our quite simple machines and then press out a brand new tray or a brand new bowl and do that in less than an hour is astronomically cool and incredibly satisfying and incredibly immediate and then to do the design and everything as well I think I'm living in my best career at the moment I just need more money to come back so I don't have so much stress with it and so I guess my best my best career would be what I'm doing but with more money <laughs> what profession or career would you not like to do oh work in an office <laughs> <laughs> work in McDonald's. I mean, there's so many shit jobs in the world, isn't there? I actually think, I think, you know, we now that robotics are becoming a thing uh, and we are seeing robotic or, or digital intervention replacing human jobs, we should actually put a list together of all the abhorrently shit jobs and give that to robots. You know, the really abysmal crap in the world should all be done by robots. So none of us ever have to do that stuff, you know. And then the good, fun stuff, we don't give that away to robots. I'm actually studying psychology at the moment, doing one unit at a time. I'm doing a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology. I've just done two units this year. 
sort of a 10-year plan. So I do hope my next career change actually will be to become a psychologist and help people. I, I am on a, on a plan. It's the first time in my life I've had a, a sort of a 10-year plan to have a new career in the next decade for the later part of my life. Isn't this something of a paradox that you struggled with learning as a kid, at least academic learning, and at the same time, you seem to have this love of learning? Oh, I love learning, but I guess I've struggled with the system of learning in the first place. What do you consider more important for success, perseverance or adaptability? So if you're standing in a, in a stream of water in a river and suddenly the river starts to swell and flood and, and flood over you, perseverance, you know, is much like resilience where you would stand there and hold your ground and persevere and put up with the flood coming and that's what a lot of people are saying we need to be doing around climate change and things you know we need to be resilient we need to stand in the floodwaters and hold our ground whereas adaptability and i've really lived a life much more of adaptability adaptability goes well no I don't need to stand here in the floodwaters. I'm going to look around and see if I can find some brushes and branches and make a raft and, and ride this crazy wave. That's adaptability, adapting to your scenario. Or climb up a tree or, you know, adapt. So, yeah, I, I see myself more as being adaptable and, and have practised that skill. And sometimes you've got to adapt pretty quickly to your changing circumstances. I think being self-employed for so long has helped with that. So I get the kind of perseverance as a concept, but I think adaptability is much more the skill that I'm honing in on and am interested in. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? I would like God to say, you were right. Do you want to go again? You're right. <laughs> take, the, take the left elevator, do it again. I like life. I want to keep living. But I think when it comes to heaven and hell, I think we create that. I think it does exist, but we create it in our lives here and now. And it comes down to our mindset and our thoughts and our feelings about ourselves. And if you want to live in heaven, then, you know, you take on self-love, you take on a positive attitude, you start adapting to things that are happening, to changes that are happening, and you treat people with respect and you plant a little garden of your house and you watch your little flowers grow and then, you know, like rolling the lawn every now and then. And when you see friends, you hug them deeply and you start living in, in heaven. But if you want to live in hell, then by all means, you keep smoking cigarettes even though you know it's bad for you. You keep back-talking in your mind. You keep hating on your body. You keep getting angry at everyone around you. You lose your shit in a road rage. You hate all your co-workers. You become a victim. You know, you create hell. So I think heaven and hell are things that we can have right now in our lives. It's not a thing that happens after we die. Now is the time to decide how we're going to live in heaven and how we treat people to be there. Thank you for listening to this second of two episodes with Toby Whittington, a successful chromodiverse social entrepreneur from Australia. As you heard, 
Toby believes it's important not to become the victim of one's condition or diagnosis and rejects considering Kleinfelters as a disorder or syndrome. Instead, he identifies as a member of the much wider intersex community on the premise that diversity in humans is the norm, not the exception, and that every human being is unique and worthy not in spite of differences, but very much because of them. Perhaps his most urgent message is his conviction, gained through hard-earned experience, that provided we have the right kind of information and support, it is in our power to choose what kind of life we wish to lead for ourselves. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please show your support by donating today. With your help, we'll ensure an easy listening experience so you can access engaging and authoritative information on common genetic diversity in children and adults, notified to you weekly in your inbox. Tune in next week for another eye-opening conversation about growing up with chromodiversity, and have a wonderful day.